I want to begin by just saying a word of thanks to Reverend Corey Phillips, to our, those who are over our music ministry, to our adult leaders, and to our students for last week. It was just a great, great day of worship. So thank you all again for that. I want us to look at a sermon series at the life of, of Miriam. I, I've, not, I've never heard a series on her. Uh, we had a couple of years ago looked at lessons from King David. And so this will be lessons from Miriam, partly because if I say the word prophetess, which she is, and we'll talk about that, that might scare some of y'all about spiritual gifts and you won't show up, but also I can spell king. Prophetess, I don't know. So anyway, this could be lessons from prophetess Miriam or just lessons from Miriam. What do you see in her life? And as we did with David, how do you, how do you, how do you see God in this person's life? Where do you see God working? But then also, what can we learn from their example? And some of it's good, some of it's bad, and as we see here today, some of it's just beautiful what is done for God's redemptive purposes. So that's what we'll be doing for the next three weeks together before we uh, get to the season of Lent. It's just watching her life and how she responds, but seeing God in her life. And really, that's where we're going to start. That's where we have to start. This, this really is not, this, this, this passage, it's not really about Miriam so much. She's not named. The parents, not named. Pharaoh's daughter, not named. What's clear is who is working. Who is giving grace. Who is sovereignly caring for Moses. I heard the new president of Wesley Biblical Seminary on a podcast probably about a week ago. And they were asking him about discipleship in the book of Genesis. And they asked him, what's, what's, what's one of the key or, or the key theme of Genesis? And you thought he would have said, the love of God, the grace of God, the reach of God. But he rightly said, the sovereignty of God. God's always working. God is, from the very beginning, ordering things. And that's what you see in this passage. If you've, if you've been going through our Bible reading plan, we're in Ezekiel, and it's been tough reading. We're at the end of three years together. But it's almost every other chapter. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You can't miss the sovereignty of God as we go through the Scriptures. Even Genesis, right before we get to Exodus, Genesis basically ends uh, with, with Joseph saying, you might have meant it for evil. But God has sovereignly worked so that he can, he can craft good from whatever you've tried to do, however you've tried to manipulate things, God can and will work good. And so here we are in Exodus 2. And this is a horrific time for the people of God, for the children of God. Uh, you know the background of this. Genesis ends, Joseph has died. Exodus begins chapter 1, there's a new pharaoh, and he doesn't have a clue about who Joseph was. And these, these certain people, not only are they growing in number, but they're growing in might. So tell you what, it's going to be hard labor for them, but you know what, now that I think about it, I don't want any more of them. And so every young child who's a boy must go. That's where we are at, at Exodus 2. That's just what has happened. And God had sovereignly worked to call Abraham, 
to create for himself a people. God had sovereignly worked through Joseph to, to, to feed and to care for his people, and now God is going to sovereignly work here. It's just like God, that he works, that he comes, that he is even in, actually especially in the darkest of nights. That you and I can hold on to that hymn from this morning, How Firm a Foundation, and and, and celebrate that he's working no matter what struggle you're going through this morning who you've been praying for, that family issue, that work issue, that we can trust that, that we can trust that Jesus will be our all in all. When we fall down, he'll be there to pick us up. It's the sovereignty of God we see over and over. Often in life we'll call things coincidences, but as as we read Scripture well, it's God working, as Paul would say later, for those who are called according to his purposes. It's God working for good. We don't always get the answer we want. We know that. But yet it's God's sovereign hand working, that it's a sign from God that even in the toughest times when we cannot see, he will be here. I, I can't imagine not just Miriam's worry, but Moses' parents worry, all of their worries as because of what's happening. And yet you see God sovereignly working to the point that here you have, you look later to the first plague. You want to do that to my children in this river? I'll show you this river soon. And it'll be filled with blood. You put innocent blood in that river. You just see God. He doesn't forget. He remembers us, and he is sovereignly working. How do you need to hold on to that today? Maybe you're wrestling with temptation. Maybe there's been a hurt or a loss or a disappointment in your life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a family member. And trust, even when I can't see, Lord, I am claiming today and knowing today, and I'm going to rest in it today that you are working. I had shared this story with you about three and a half years ago, but I didn't hear part two and part three of this story until this week. So I'm going to go back and tell you part one again so I can get to part two and three. Uh, but I'd heard the story of a Brazilian missionary, and he was, he was a trailblazing missionary going from town to town, sharing the gospel, and in several pockets of Brazil, they had placed a bounty on his head to kill him. So people who were mixing Christianity with voodoo and all kinds of wild things didn't like what he was doing to their churches, and so they said, we'll pay you to kill this missionary. And so one of the bounty hunters had gotten word that he was coming to a particular town, so he positioned himself with his rifle on a rooftop, waiting for him to come through the city gate, and he saw him from far off walking up to the city gate, and he said, I'm not going to not going to kill him till he gets off so I can make sure he's secure and still when he opens that gate and I've got him. But he watched him and kind of got a little nervous because somebody was walking with him and thought, well, I'd, I hope that guy leaves because I, I don't have permission to kill him. I've only got permission and the bounty's only on that missionary. But the, but the man never left walking beside this missionary. He gets to the city gate, he gets off his horse and the man's still there so the bounty hunter says, I've got to wait for another opportunity. I don't want to get in trouble. Well, it just so happens through that week that that bounty hunter comes to the Lord and finds the missionary as a warning, but also as a a, a word of forgiveness. Hey, I was going to 
I was going to take you out when you came to town this week. But I didn't, you know, because you had walked to town with someone and they wouldn't leave your side. And you know the missionary's response. I came to town all alone. There was no one with me. No one with me coming. No one with me at the gate. And what Exodus 2 tells us is, yes, there was. God was with him. We've got to trust that God is working even when we cannot see He is working. How is it you and I need to trust him today? To know that he is there. When we can't sense it, when we can't feel it, when things are dark, when we don't get the answer we want, I'm still trusting that you are working out your sovereign will and it will be for my good. But there is some reminders here as well through Miriam's response that we we can't miss. There's some things about her life that are so helpful to us. And it's first this reminder that we get to be a part of God's work. That we get to be a part of his ordering and his sovereign will. If we'll put ourselves in a position to be used by him. You Going back to lessons from King David, if you go through that series, there is no David without Jonathan. There probably is no David without Nathan, without God sending these others to David's life to protect him from Saul or to call him from sin and to turn him so he can be the man of God he ought to be. You and I, when we're listening to God, when we're in his word, when we're positioning ourselves well, we can be used, as Miriam was, used of God for God's purposes. So we see here, Uh, That God is working. Verse 4, his sister stood at a distance to see what was happening. Now listen, I don't know why she was standing at a distance. I have a guess. I mean, maybe you might think, maybe it's just curiosity. And you know, you go through that. There's cops' car pulled somebody over. Let me give them their privacy. Who is that? You know you do it. A celebrity gets caught in a scandal. Look left, look right, click the link, and you want to see what they've done. A new neighbor moves into your neighborhood. And as people who practice hospitality, you make sure to go over, to greet them, to give them a smile, maybe even to to bless them with an apple pie. And then you go home and Facebook stalk them. Who are these people? And by the way, if you've never done it, you're the one that's been stalked. That guy didn't look right. Right? Maybe it's curiosity. We're curious. Or maybe... It's, it's, it's the care of a sister. What's going to happen to this baby that we've risked for for three months? And we know we're God's people. Mama's told me that. Daddy's told me that. What's going to happen here? And so she positions herself as a young child in a place where she can be used by God. And it's so... When, when Pharaoh's daughter picks her up, we don't, we don't, the text doesn't say how. Maybe it's she picks him up and there's nothing really there and she sees the circumcision. Maybe it's by the supplies of the basket or the clothes. But, but either way, Miriam's placed herself close enough where she can hear what Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, this is a Hebrew child. Or she's, she's taking that opportunity, she's positioned herself to see in her eyes, uh-oh, she knows he's one of us. And she positions herself where she can help. There's something right about that. To position in ourselves 
where we can be in the will of God and to be used by God, where I might struggle and say, how come I'm not growing? Well, have I positioned myself well? Have I positioned my schedule well? Have I placed myself with other men or other women of God to encourage me and hold me accountable? Have I positioned my schedule where I am carving out time to be in prayer and to be in the Word? If, if, if I feel like I'm not being used by God, well, have I positioned myself to get the, the training and the resources I need so God can use me? Have I positioned myself close enough to need where I can actually, like Miriam, see the need so I can step into that need? Or I'm living life at a distance. Am I saving well? We've talked about that before. We, we looked at John Wesley's ways. He got caught. He's been a Christian for years. But an opportunity came up where a, a young person needed, I think it was a winner's jacket, reached in his pocket, he didn't have it. And for the rest of his life, he never got caught like that again. He learned to save so that I will always have something ready to give. Positioning ourselves so that we can be used of God. Positioning ourselves is critical. I found that out in 2002. I uh, was a bad Methodist preacher. Uh, I, could, I guess it could be evangelism because my best friend was a Baptist, so he invited me to the NCAAs over Easter weekend. Shame on me. And I skipped Easter weekend at the church where I was serving. I was an associate. Don't get any ideas, Ben, Linda. Sorry. But took these free tickets to go to the NCAAs, and I met everybody there. I met people from the, where's Corey, Dallas Cowboys from last week. I met Dallas Cowboys, met professional golfers, met all these famous writers and TV personalities just bumping into people left and right, but I had gone to get something to eat with my buddy, and coming down the steps was Chris Berman and Rick Sutcliffe. Now, I was a big Phillies kid growing up in Pennsylvania, but in 82, they had traded Larry Boa, Ryan Sandberg out of their farm club organization, uh, Keith Moore, all these Phillies came to the Cubs, and if you grew up in Mississippi in the 70s and 80s, you had two channels, right, to watch baseball, TBS, WGN, you either Cubs or Braves, so I was a Cubs guy. Rick Sutcliffe was the man. And so I immediately walked right up and said, hey, can I have your, and Berman just did this. I'm going to get a hot dog first. you mind just waiting over there, and we'll do this later? Sure. And so I walked way across that open airway there where there's all kinds of people walking and eating, and I walked probably 50 feet away from him, 60 feet away. And Chris got one, maybe two, might have been three hot dogs. <laughs> And people just bombarded him, and I could see him doing the same thing. Hey, let me eat, let me eat. Nobody let him eat. They just surrounded Rick and, and Chris and were just pestering him. And Berman's just smashing hot dogs, one after the other. Not talking to anybody, just looking at him, eating his hot dogs. And then he looked up when he was done. You, come here. And so my buddy and I went over. You want a picture? Yeah, took a picture, got an autograph from Rick Sutcliffe. And he didn't say a word to anybody else, and he went back up to the booth. Why did I get an autograph? Probably because he was scared of me, because I was such a rabid fan. I needed Rick Sutcliffe's autograph, maybe. I had positioned myself. Everybody else didn't get where they could get the autograph. They thought it was getting close. No, go over there and give me some space. And only I, only Dennis and I got that picture and that autograph. Positioning yourself so you can get in the game, so that you can be a part of what God is doing. Positioning is critical. There's something right about putting ourselves in a position where we can see needs, to be available to, to needs, and to be used of God. It's not about being at the right place at the right time. 
It's about being at the right place all the time and waiting upon God's time. God, I'm going to get near to need. So when the door opens up, I'm ready. Whether it's I'm prayed up, I'm studied up, I'm resourced up, or I'm ready to risk and to share my life. So much of life, you know that, is about position. How many rebounds did you miss? Because you weren't in position. How many business opportunities did you miss? Because you had not positioned yourself well. It's critical as we look at her life, the importance of, of placing ourselves intentionally where God can use us. I love the early Christians did that beautifully. I love how the early Methodists did that beautifully. If you're, if you're a young child, just like this, this protecting of children here, that's always been a part of our legacy as Methodists, to speak up for those uh, who can't speak up for themselves. If you're, if you're a young child in, in Wesley's day, and especially with the misuse of child labor laws, the Methodists spoke up for that. If you were wrestling with the gin epidemic, if you were a man or woman, woman selling yourself for money, if you were in prison, it was the Wesleyans, it was the Methodists who went and got close to you so they could share with you the gospel and also make provision for you uh, for your healing and for your redemption. Christians are to get close and to position themselves. Not only are we to position ourselves well, but also, listen, you and I know, and you see it here in Miriam's response, she's younger, maybe she doesn't fully get it, but there's always a risk and a cost to doing that kind of life, to doing that kind of ministry. If you're Miriam, what do you do? If you're Miriam, what do you do? Now think about that before you answer, because who's she talking to? It's one thing to say she's talking to this political leader's daughter. Could be the daughter of his wife, could be a daughter of a concubine, but she's still connected to Pharaoh. It's not only is she talking about, uh, it's talking to somebody who's political oppressor, but they had gotten at one point in Egypt, the Pharaoh worked for the gods, but this is at the time and season where they've moved that to Pharaoh is the son of God. He is a God. And you're talking to his daughter. So not only is this somebody from a, a different country, a different race, somebody who's your oppressor, somebody who's causing your people hard labor, somebody who's vicious enough to kill baby, baby boys, but, but, but this is somebody who claims some kind of spiritual power. And Miriam just walks up right into the middle of that says, I think I know somebody who could care for that child. She just pops up and asks the question uh, and, and suggests a solution. How critical it is for you and I to not only position ourselves, but know there may be a cost, but where are those places where you and I can step in and, and say a word or be the grace of God, to be the hands and, and feet of of God and be a part of his redemptive purposes. Part two of that missionary story, story that, uh, that missionary had gone on uh, to, a, to another town. And uh, again, same thing. People were resistant to what he was sharing as he was preaching the gospel. And he had gone into one home and was preaching to a group who had gathered in a home and shots rang out. They weren't celebrating anything. This missionary had come to town, and shots were being fired at the house. What do you do, preacher? 
That'd be a real struggle. What would I do? What would you do? Here's the doorway, the open doorway. He fills the doorway and continues his sermon and preached to those people who had risked to meet with him. He stood in the gap. To stand up for faith, yes, but also to interact and to share our faith, even share the caring of our faith, the hospitality of our faith. In this culture where you can be so quickly canceled, there, there may be a price and a risk for that. Miriam, yes, young as she may be, just stepped up in the middle of the gap and said a word for her baby brother. And it changed the course in a very real sense of all of history and God's redemptive purposes. Lastly, though, there's a word here. Uh, just watching what she does, she opens the door. And it's, hard, it's just hard to get our heads around the impact of this moment. Not just for Moses' safety, but, but, but also what will happen through his ministry and what God will be doing through uh, Moses. And we have to do, I admit to you, we got to do some guesswork here. But you just can't get to the next verse. If you have your Bible open, read the next verse. I don't think you can get to the next verse unless you talk about Moses' mom and the legacy she leaves with Moses. Now this is, if you listen to Stephen, what he says in Acts chapter 7, this is about 40 years later. So we go to three months with the child, and now she's probably about another three years with the child that we guess. But those formative years of pouring into someone? You heard the answers this morning at Children's Sermon. By the way, it's not a dialogue. Don't correct me from the, the that was fantastic. It's because our, student, our kids' ministry, because you as parents and grandparents are pouring in to the faith development of children. What happened in those three, three and a half years so that 40 years later, you get to the next verse after our passage and you have Moses recognizing, those are my brethren. Raised in the house of Pharaoh, those are my brethren that are being oppressed. Just the impact we have. You get to, you know, you know the list in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame, right? Those of faith. You start out there, you're Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. No, you skip Moses' parents. They're there. That even though they had all kinds of fear of what's happening for those first three months, by faith, they acted. Your faith. When you bless the kids of our church and you teach Sunday school or Wednesday night, you're praying over the kids of our church or investing in student ministry, your faith in your own home or around your neighborhood, the ways in which we invest, there's no telling what can happen in a legacy you and I can pass on, a faith you and I can pass on that will impact somebody decades later. To finish that story, and I'd never heard this part of the story, and I can't remember all of it, but it, but it was basically decades later, after the missionary had had God sovereignly protect him, and then after he had stood in the gap for those people in that home, the, the end of the story is decades later 
when there's talk of some church plants and who this one church had planted five, I think five churches, who's going to be appointed to, 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 to go over and be the pastor of one of those churches. And it was my father-in-law got to be appointed to one of those churches, one or two, but I know one of them for sure. It was the house where the preacher stood in the doorway because once somebody, somebody stood in the gap for the people of God and decades later they were still talking about that. The impact of that moment had lasted long enough in that small group of people that, that, that they're now a church. By the way, Sarah's mom, my wife's mom, she was in the house when the bullets started. Somebody stood in the gap for her. It's just, it's just a, no telling what God can do. Yes, for safety, but also for a legacy where we can impact. That's why I want you here next week. Come early, stay late to see what, what God's doing through our church, through this mission fair. To see how you can be a part. Most of the mission that you and I are about is not through our church family. I know that. It's the, the faith you're leave, leading with your friends and your family and in your workplace and in your sphere of influence. But what we can do together, what God's doing together through us, we all need to be a part of that in some way. And I want you to be here next week to celebrate that and to pray about that. Praise God that he has been and is sovereignly working for our salvation in Christ and ordering salvation history together so that Christ might come and give himself for us that we might be saved, but also, as Genesis says and Paul says as well, for our good. How is it you need to trust that, his sovereign working wherever you're struggling today? But then also to look at our, our response. As we look at Miriam's life, how am I, how do I need to position myself better? What's my next step in that? Maybe for my own growth, or maybe to get near and to see so that I can be used of God. And then when it's time, when it's his timing, to be able to stand in the gap, to say whatever needs to be said, to do whatever needs to be done, and there's no telling the legacy that will happen in and through that. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for these weeks together to look at a servant that you have gifted to us, a model to press through fear, to be expectant that you're working, to care for another. Father, whatever we need to see uh, through her life to give you glory, to, to better live in faith, we pray that your Holy Spirit and your word would help us to do that. Father, we especially praise you this day as we see so clearly it's you. It's your sovereign hand. It's, it's, it's your work. Help us to trust where we have not seen, to believe and to know that you are walking beside us, leading us. Whatever hurt or burden we have, we give it to you today, saying, would you be Lord over that? We want your timing and your will. Thank you for this, your word. Bless now our response to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.